Good morning, Rabbi. So let us learn. We have the opportunity this morning of uh, covering a very important topic, and that is the four kingdoms, the Dalad Malchuyos. We are going to be learning this morning. The Shira is sponsored on a very joyous occasion, and that is sponsored by Kalman and Daba Isaacs on Siona's marriage this evening to Norman Greenberg, which should be Bashatava Umut Slakas. I, I don't see the, the Isaacs here right now. Oh, Kalman's over here. Now that, that deserves a special, a special mazel tov. Wow. See here, what a beautiful way to start Hanukkah. Let's learn, folks. We have so much to learn. This is a very important topic. And this topic is an obscure topic. Most people hear little pieces here, there. We, hear, we put together little pieces here, there. We don't really get a sense of what's happening. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do an uh, um, absurd amount of material in a very short amount of time because the, Ra- the Maharal has a sefer called Ner Mitzvah in which he describes the first half of the book, Chelek Aleph, is, de- is de- dedicated to the four kingdoms. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the Dalad Malchuyos, the Four Kingdoms. And uh, so let's, let's take a look at this. So we've heard of different pieces. We're going to start off, there's going to be three sections essentially to what we're trying to achieve today in our learning. Number one is to understand the concept of why there should be four kingdoms in the world. Number two is to get a brief overview comparing and contrasting some of the different visions of those four kingdoms. And then uh, hopefully when we get to the end, we'll try to do a little bit of focus on the one which is relevant to this evening, which is Greece, which is number th- the third one. So here's how it goes. We're, the reason why this is obscure is, is because many of the prophecies about the four kingdoms are in fact obscure. Two of them are found in the book of Daniel. Daniel is primarily in the language of Aramaic, as we're about to learn together, which is why it's, a, it's somewhat inaccessible. And also because of its obscurity, it is also open to misinterpretation, which is why it's specifically important for us to learn and to appreciate what is in fact going on over here. Because the Christians, as an example, are very excited about misinterpreting these dreams and these perspectives um, to harness them for their, their, uh, their theology. So let's take a look. What we're going to do is we're going to look at a few versions of the four kingdoms. And they're, they're very, uh, they, they are very, the ideas are very uh, broad. And we're going to try to pull together some sort of semblance of order into, um, and perspective into them. So the first one is actually in um, Daniel Perik Zion. It's a dream that Daniel has. And here's how it reads. Bishnas Chada Lebel Shatzar, Melech Bavel, Daniel, Chalem Chaza, Vechezye Roshe Al Mishkeve, Be'edain Chel Mokosav Reish Milin Amar. So again, uh, this does not sound like the regular cadence of Tanakh because it is in Aramaic. Daniel was a prophet in exile. He lived in exile. And therefore, uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is what he saw. So we're talking about in the first year of Belshazzar. He had this dream. And this is what he saw in his nightly vision. On Daniel Omar, he spoke and he said, I was seeing at night in my vision. And I saw four winds were breaking upon the great sea, probably referring to the Mediterranean. 
He says, V'arba chayyon, chayyon, chayvon ravravon, solkon min yama, shonyon da min da. And I saw emerging from the ocean were four creatures which were very different to one another. Kadmoyasa chayyeh, the first one looked like a lion, v'gapin de nesharle, and it had eagle's wings. And its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground. And then it, was stab- it stood up on its hind legs, and it was implanted a human heart. Very strange. This is, this is creature number one. Creature number two. And another creature arose, it was like a bear. And it raised itself up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth. Between its teeth. And and the voice came out and said, Eat enough meat. That was the second creature. There was a third one which arose, which looked like a leopard. And it had four wings on its back. And it then had four heads. And it was given dominion. And finally, Then I saw in the vision of the night, now I saw this creature, he doesn't actually give it a, a, a name of what the picture is, a terrifying creature, it, um, it, uh, it, was, it had iron teeth, and it would eat and it would crush whatever it came across. And it would just trample to bits everything that was left. And it was different to any of the previous creatures, and it had ten horns. This is the, the vision that Dan, Daniel has. Daniel has. Fascinating. So you can understand why most people do not wade into this territory because it is simply very difficult to understand what, what is being said. What is the symbolism of each of these creatures and each of the details of the creatures? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's simply something which is obviously on a different di- di- dimension. But we're going to try to, to a certain degree, just put some, some sort of semblance with the Maral is going to, to lead us through this. This is, this is version number one. There are a number of other places in Tanakh that we're given an inkling into the fact that there are four dominions. One is as early as Beratius, Perek, Aleph, Pasuk, Beis, the second Pasuk in all of Torah, which says, Va'aretz, the land was, Toyu, Vavoyu, Vachoshech, Alpanei, Tohoim, that the land was, um, the way they, they say it is, unformed and void. Um, yeah, and there was darkness on the, the face of the depths. And the spirit of Hashem, so to speak, hovered on the waters. The, the Medrash in Bereshis, Rabbi Rat here tells us, right? Resh Lakish would understand that this was referring to the exiles. The first, when it talks about um, toihu, em, uh, this emptiness or this unformedness, this is Bavel. Yermiao talks about the land being being empty. Um, it is interesting, when he says that, when Yermiah says that, he's, it's, he's probably referring to the state of Israel. He's probably referring to the emptiness of the state of Israel at that point in time. But it's reflected in the fact that they're destroyed by a nation, which, which reflects that same idea. I mean, Yermiah was referring to their actions and the ultimate outcome. Vovohu, this is uh, this void. Zegol is uh, Modai, this is Media or Persia. Ve'avilu lahavi <laughs> because they... 
the word vayavilu, the behalot, to bring Haman, who tried to destroy the nation of Israel. V'choshech zegalus yavon, darkness is yavon. Shech shecha name shall Yisrael begizera sehen. They had these many gzeras which darkened our eyes. Shoyesu ameres lohem, kisu lachem al kerarashor. We're going to get to that later. Talks about this interesting image. By the way, so obviously it should be related to us is the fact that we celebrate this as our festival of light should obviously be connected to the idea that they're represented by darkness. That's, the, the, that's, the, that's version 3. And finally, the last one is Alpanea um, Tohoim, that's the end of the line. There's no, you can't really fully grasp it because it's so deep, it's so long. Um, so to the, the, the evil people are such. And then it talks about the Ruach Elohim is the Melech Mashiach, which comes after all these four dimensions. So we have these four dimensions now represented in these four words. They represent the same ideas which ultimately Daniel is going to be um, seeing. There's another version, just to look at a few versions of this to try to put together the pieces. And that happens in Daniel Perek Beis. Perek Beis is where what happens is, is he is summoned to the king. The king at this point is Belshazzar. Belshazzar, as he said academically, uh, Belshazzar was the last king of, of Babylon. And, you know, they seem to have similar, right? Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. It's the same, they say the same sort of ending. So Belshazzar is, um, is, is this king and... Daniel is very involved with him. There's a lot of interesting images and prophecies that Daniel tell, tells him. He's summoned because the king has a dream at night. It's no longer Daniel dreaming, which is Perik Zion. In Perik Beis, it's the king dreaming. The king needs an interpreter. And what would you know? The Jews have a, have a good history in this, as we know about in the parashiyos that we're learning right now. So they summon, they summon Daniel, this prophet, to Belshazzar, and, and they say, do you understand dreams? So we're going to actually start midway in Pasuk Choftes, in Perik Beis, this is where he says, um, he says the following, he says, look, I don't know, I don't understand dreams, no astrologer could, but I have God on my side, Eloko I have Hashem who is the God in the heavens, and he can help you. So here's what he says. He says in Pastor Koftes, Ant Malka, you're the king, what you're dreaming about is what's going to happen after you. You're looking into the future. And Hashem is revealing to you the secrets of what will be in the future. What is he referring to? I'm not, I don't have access to this from the, because I'm, you know, I'm a smart person. Um, but I will, I will, I, but I will tell you the intent of what's already inside of you. Meaning, you got the secret inside of you. I'm going to help you understand what you really saw. Ant Malka Chose, Vavayas Vaalut Salem, Chad Sagit Salmo, Dechain Rav, Vizive Yatir Koem Le Kabalach, Vrave Dechil. You saw a great image in front of you. This was his dream. This was a, a very shining, very powerful image, an upright image who was immensely terrifying. What was this image? Hutsalmo Reshe Di Dahav Tav, the head was made up of fine gold, Chadoihi Uderoihi Di Kasaf. And its main fra- mainstay, its chest and its arms were made up of silver. And its lower, its lower section, um, its belly, its thighs were of brass, of nechoshes. And from the thighs down, its legs were made of iron. And part of it was iron and part of it was clay. So well, that's the image. So you're seeing this, this terrifying statue. The statue is comprised of essentially four qua, five elements. And this is, this is what, he, what he was witnessing. What does it mean? 
So he says, Chazah havayas al di his gerizeras even diloy bedayin umachol atzalmo al ragloi he deparzelo vechaspo vahadekes mihon hemon. He talks about this is going to be destroyed and ground up into into dust, and then this dust is going to spread out. That's pasuk lamed hey. It's going to spread out across the whole earth. What does it mean? Pasuk lamed vav. This is the answer. This is what it means. Ant Malko Melech Malchaya. You're the king of kings. Now, usually we use that expression to describe Hashem. You are the power of all powers at this point. Because Hashem gave you the power. That's why you've got dominion. You've been given the power of all the dominion of all the creatures in this world. By the way, it sounds similar to Azmiros, right? Because Azmiros, Karibon, which is in, which is in Aramaic, is, is reflective of this, based on this, this Pasuk. And you are the golden head, he, t- he says. Ubasrach. There's going to be a kingdom after you which is inferior to you. Why? Because which direction are we moving in the, in the statue? Downwards, right? So it's inferior to you, the golden head. And there's going to be a third kingdom made of Nechosh, which is inferior to the first two. And finally, the fourth kingdom will be strong. Powerful like iron, kol kovel di parzolam hadek v'choshel koila. It's going to, uh, but it's, it, it's going to break everything into pieces as iron does. Kaparzolam di meroa kol ilain tid hatadik v'seiroa, and it shall break everything down and crush it into pieces. That's the, the vision over here. So again, here we have another version of these four dominions, not in the dream of Daniel, but in the dream of Belshazzar, Belshazzar. And so th- this, is, this is another version of the same, the same idea. We have other places that appears in the Torah. Um, one, one other place we're going to try to address, uh, hopefully we have a, a little bit of time later on, is where there is a description in the, in, in the Medrash, in Vayikra, Rabba, Perek, Yud Gimel, Parsha, Hay, where a lot of this is discussed. It's, it's a very, very long parasha. In that, in that um, parasha in the Medrash, it describes that the four non-kosher animals, right, the camel, the hyrax, the, and the, 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 the gomel, the shafon, the arneves, and the chazir are the four kingdoms. And it relates each one to each other. We'll, hopefully we'll get a chance to, to come back to that later on. These are the ideas that Maral is going to be observing. I do want to just do mention that there are obviously other places that the four kingdoms appear in Tanakh as well. As an example, where the Medrash also goes into the description of the four rivers that leave Eden, right? Those, those four rivers which leave Eden, and there's very interesting descriptions in the second parak of Beratius over there, so each of them obviously relates to these four ideas as well. Also, if we re- if for those who re- enjoy reading Zachariah, the four horsemen that Zachariah describe, of course, the types of horses and what the rider looks like on each of those horses relates to the same, the same idea. Again, very obscure um, descriptions. So there's numerous other places as well this appears. We're going to try to just take a look at this from three perspectives. Number one is why do they have to exist in the first place? Number two is a little bit of an overview as to what each one represents. And number three is a, a focus on the third one, which is, which is relevant to Hanukkah. So that's... that's, 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 that's uh, the Brisbane Abbasarim without the animal. The animals over there, fantastic, right? The Malachim on the, on the, according to one version of the Medrash, the Malachim going up the ladder of Yaakov, there were four Malachim. How many steps they walked up were each of the Goliaths. So there's a number of different places that these ideas are found 
in 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 in, uh, in uh, first the Torah, Torah Nevi'im Ksuvim, and of course Medrash. So there's a, there's a lot to talk about. Clearly, we're not going to get to all of it, but at least we can have a little more of a coherent conversation about these ideas. It's important. That's why we also learned the Psukim together inside. There's a lot of Christian theology which is built on this as well. So it's important. That's why to understand this um, from our, from from within. Rather than other people reaching into understanding from the, from without, so let's take a let's take a quick look at this. Let's try to understand this from the, the perspective. We're going to look at from the, the perspective of the Maharal. I remember that um, the first time I, I started learning this Maharal, one of my rabbis in high school started learning learning near Mitzvah with us. He started talking about this, and he said he started off by saying, you know, the Maharal is most famously known outside of the Torah realm for his golem. but unfortunately, that's first of all whether that existed or not is a, is a matter of debate, but. But nonetheless, the Maharal is much better known for his works, for his, his svarim. At the time, I didn't want to really believe it. It was much more romantic to, to, to think about the ideas of this golem and this powerful thing. But truth be told, if we have an opportunity of taking the Maharal off the shelf, the Maharal opens up vistas into Judaism, into, into Torah thought, into, the, into Mahshava, which really, really up, to, up till then were, were not revealed in such, to, to such a degree. They, 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 they say, well, again, one side says that the Maharal was a proto-Hasidic. Now, of course, the Hasidic world would say that because he came before the Hasidic world. But nonetheless, the, he, the, the realm of Machshava that, uh, that, 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 um, that the, the Maral opened is unparalleled. So what we're going to do is let's take a little bit of inter, uh, our perspective into, his, into the realm of thought of the Maral. And we're going to look at the first idea is just why these need to exist in the first place. So the Maral says, we're, um, we're going to go look at source 8 for a quick second. This is a Gomorrah in Menachos, Chavtes, and The Gomorrah is also a very obscure idea. But the, the Gemara describes that it says, it says, Keshu when the Torah says in the second paragraph of Ele told us these are the, the, the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. The Gemara tells us, Hashem created the worlds with a hey. What does that mean? This dimension, this physical world is created with the letter He, and the dimension above us or preceding us or parallel to us, the spiritual dom- d- d- domain of Olam Haba is, is created with the Yud. That's what the Gemara tells us. So what the Maral says is, this is just a very fascinating insight, is that if you think about the letter Yud, the letter Yud itself is the smallest of all the letters in the entire Hebrew alphabet, alphabet uh, Aleph Beis, and it is, in a certain sense, it's really essentially a dot. That is a dot. Now, it's, it's true that we pass, and of course, it needs to have a, it needs to be sticking out of the top, but essentially itself is a dot, which means to say, if you sort of speak, if you think back, you know, Lahavda, just to give an example, the Big Bang, you know, means to say there was, there was one particle, there was one place of expansion in which everything, all matter and all energy was enca- encapsulated, which expanded and exploded to be the creation the world, that's sort of the way it's understood in general, which means that you have one entity which in, in the center of which is everything. That's the Yud. The Yud is Olam Abba, which means to say that all spiritual and physical and everything in between exists in this, in this dot, in this, in this capsule. However, what happens is that Kodesh Baruch Hu decided to make Olam Azeh. What was Olam Azeh? Essentially, Olam Azeh is the He. What is the He? The He is essentially two axes 
and that dot again, right? So we have now the x-axis and the z and the y-axis. We're not going to get into the third dom the third um, domain right now. We're not getting into three dimensions. In the two-dimensional realm, we have the x-axis and the y-axis, and essentially it's the notion of expansion to the positive, to the negative, to the positive, the negative vertically and horizontally, essentially. That's what this world is. It's an expansion of that primordial dot that, that we'll call that, that energy which, uh, which encapsulated all of creation is now exploding. It's interesting to note, by the way, that the way the hay is formulated is it's almost as if that dot is harnessing those two lines, right? So the dot is in the parallel corner where those two axes are being held in check by that dot by which is the primordial force where all of potential encapsulated it. So the way Maral understands this, obviously we talk about sophisticated ideas here. We're not, this is not child's play and, you know, and learning aleph base. This is very sophisticated thought. What the Gomorrah is conveying to us is that this world is a world of expansion and diversity, whereas the world, the world to come, the Olam Abba, is a world where all potentials in, is encapsulated in one place. Now, let's take this one step further. That means to say that if you think about it, in terms of actually, let's sort of, let's, 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 let's um, transmute these ideas, let's take these ideas over into this world. The idea of the dot, what was the reason of creation? The Torah starts off, Bereshis, Bishvil Reshis. What is Reshis? Because of Reshis. The further the Medrash describes, the first point is because of Israel, Bishvil Israel. There needs to be a platform which will now be the platform which upholds the godly idea and expand it to the rest of the world. That's Bishvil Israel. However, expansion dictates that there's going to be also four directions, right? There's going to be expansion to X positive, X negative, Y positive, Y negative. Those directions are going to be four powers which exist in this world, which are going to pull away from the center. Which are going to pull away from the center where this started <coughs> off with, and those are what's called these four dominions, which is why Pasuk Aleph tells us, Beratius, it talks about that primordial moment of expansion. And the second Pasuk already tells us about the directions of expansion, which is Tayu, Vayu, Choshech, and Penetahom, which are the four dimensions of expansion with, if they are not harnessed and connected back to that primordial state, that echad, that, that, that place where it starts off with, then ultimately it falls apart, right? The whole of creation falls apart where there's unfettered power given to each of those four directions. That's the general idea, which is why it starts off in such a way. The, the way the Maharal says it, just to actually, actually take a quick look at his words. By the way, this is not a short essay. It is somewhat short, but in, you know, in the old Maharals, it's 15 pages of two columns. So essentially 30 pages of Maharal. In the Hartman edition today, it's, it's 71 pages, this essay itself. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not just a, 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 a read in, the, in one morning. It's, it's, it takes a little bit of time, so I'm trying to just do a little bit of summarization here, so which means to say that we're not going to get the full concept. So if there's anything missing, it's me, it's not the Maharal. Okay, so, um, um, so let, let's, let's take a quick look at the Maharal's actual wording of this. He says, um, I mean, let's, let's take a look at source 9. The Maharal says the following. This world is, is expansion or diversity. It still is one world. This expansion is two one. That the, these malchus, in a certain sense, are the some total of all the things which are important in this world. They're separate. Which is reflection, reflecting the expansion which exists in this world. But this world still does have a dimension of unity. They are the one. 
אמנם ראו היו שיהיה דלת מלכויוס אלא מתקשרים ומתחברים יחד עם ישראל ומצטרפים אל ישראל עד שיהיה הכל אחד. Of this world is where Israel is able to pull together all those di- those four diverse ideas which are trying to pull out outwards in this world as well. Okay, we're not, not going to get into that at that point. This is the way the Maral, the Maral says it. In fact, it, you know, this, this relates to a lot of the ideas we've heard about Israel's oneness as an example. So let's just reverse for a moment into uh, source 7. Yeshayahu describes, Amzu Hashem says, I fashioned this nation. Which nation are you referring to? Israel, they're going, to tell me, they're going to tell my praise. We're going to be ambassadors. And whether we like it or not, whether, whether we decide to carry the flag or not, they're going to make us carry the flag. And we're going to tell Hashem's Tehillah, which also means to say that we can also tell very negative stories if we don't, if we don't live up to it. Um, but the, the Maral does point out that the word Zu, the letter Zu, I'm Zu, what is this nation? The, the, the numerical value, which is one of the ways the Torah conveys meaning, it's not just linguistically, but also through numbers. So on the numeric uh, dimension of conveying uh, the message, the Torah is telling us Zu is, of course, the number. Zion and Vav is 7 and 6, which is... One second. 13. Right, so we have 7 and 6, which is 13. 13 is an important number in Judaism. And that is because, of course, it is the, the same gematria as Echad. So meaning to say, I'm Zu. What's this nation about? This nation is about unity. It's supposed to be... The, in, a, in a certain sense, harmonizing the different elements which are expanding in the world, it's supposed to be pulling them together. The Maral even goes so far as to say, interesting thought, the word Echad itself is divided into, into Aleph Ches Dalet, which is 184, which of course relates to Levi, who's supposed to be the leader, so to speak, the spiritual leader of Israel, whether that be the Kwanim and the Levi. Then there's the eight remaining children of the Imahois, because Imanash and Ephraim split, so we have Eight and then four is the children of the Imaos, but all, all together, the one, eight, and four come together to form Knesset Israel. This, this notion, this oneness, which of course is the same, the same gematria as Ahava, which of course, which is the, the notion of, of love and cohesion. When we talk about Akadosh Baruch Hu being Echad, we're uniting Hashem, which means to say we're looking at every force that exists in this world, and we're saying that it all comes back to one starting point. That's our role, that's why Akadosh Baruch Hu says. Uh, I'm a, uh, that we talk, he talks about Amzu Yatsartili, this is Goyachod Ba'aretz, that we're this one nation, not just because, oh, we're one nation. It means to say that we're, we're harnessing oneness in this world, that we're pulling together all the disparate pieces wherever we go. We start bringing godliness. We're, we're, we have a mission, we have an ambassadorship to, to, to yield, which is why, sort of like Kabbalistically thinking, uh, speaking, when the Jews go through every form of Golos, when they go through every stage of Golos, they're bringing something to that country. They're bringing some ideas to their country. They're, they're, they're uplifting the dialogue in their country about godliness. And that's the, the notion of oneness. That, and, and by the way, in, in world history, we've done pretty well, generally speaking. I mean, to say monotheism in general right, in right now is, is, the predominant, um, is the predominant view or morality of human, humanity, which was not the case 2,000 years ago. So the daughter religions of Judaism, the religions which broke off or sort of used Judaism as a platform to make their own religion, like Christianity and Islam, which came, which came much later, they all are taking parts of the concepts of Judaism, which means that Judaism, you know, not that, not that we're, we're saying that we, this is, uh, you know, our mission is to create Christianity, but in a certain sense, the ideas that they harness from Judaism are the notion of oneness, which, is, which has really been, in a certain sense, taking over the pagan, uh, the pagan basic elements within reality, which is just, you know, there's something to think about with this. So this is Amzu Yatzartili. We have this oneness, which is represented by Klal Yisrael in the beginning. Now, um, if this, is, if, this be, if this is the case, 
then, then in, in a, we'll call it in a utopian view of society, then these forces should in some way be held together. Each of these forces are not negative per se. If they go beyond the oneness, if they, if they go beyond the scope of they can no, can no longer hear the falconer, right, when the, in the widening gyre, in that place, that, that's, when, that's when the system falls apart, and that's when each of them gains dominion over Israel, when Israel's not doing its job. Okay, so let's, let's try to get to that step. So now let's move into, this is sort of unit one. Unit two is, is what are they? So what are these different, these different um, entities? So the first thing to, to be aware of is that, that there's an interesting difference between the vision of Daniel's dream and the vision of Belshazzar's dream. Why is that? Do you notice, the, do you notice an interesting difference between the, the vision of these four things? Is in terms of the, just the imagery itself, he views each of them, Daniel views them each as animals. Whereas Belshazzar views them as a statue. It seems a statue, it doesn't, there's no description of an animal. It seems like a human statue that we're talking about, which means the version of... Right, so it's for all the four are actually in one unit in, in Belshazzar's version, and there's a sort of a moving downwards, whereas there's, there's separate entities in Daniel's dream, which is fascinating. So the, the morale understands that. That means to say is that if you think about it, Belshazzar is on the grid, right? So meaning to say you can't see outside of the grid if you're on the grid. So he, in, he, he views them as humanity, he views them as, uh, as, as the, in the human form. Whereas what Daniel is saying is that, is that when at their worst, these nations, in a certain sense, they devolve the human form. That all that's really left is the animal form of these nations. Not to say that they don't have a Tselem Elohim, of course they do. But in terms of the spectrum of where they stand, they've moved the spectrum back. They've dialed it back from the spiritual element to the bestial, bestial element, which is why he views them as animals as opposed to the human form, just in terms of looking at it holistically. Now, let's look at each of the, each of the individual creatures. So the first creature we see is the creature, which is this lion slash eagle. There's different ways of looking at it, and Yirmiyahu has similar versions of, um, of this when describing, when describing Bovel, because that's the incoming force that Yirmiyahu was already talking about. So it's, it's, this is the gold head in, in Belshazzar's dream. This is the camel of the, un, the, of the non-kosher animals, and this is Babylon and media in terms of interpretation. So what, what is this? So the Maral actually spends less time talking about Babylon, interestingly enough. The Maral is not spending too much focus because what's his safer actually on? Hanukkah. So if it's on Hanukkah, he's going to spend less time talking about Babylon, he's going to spend time, more time talking about Greece. But nonetheless, um, what he's, he points out is that, is that the first three of these galoyos, or these exiles, or these dominions, relate to three parts of the human capacity in general. So it's not just a nation. The, there are, he, what he tears is three parts of the human psyche. There's body awareness, there's what we call emotional, instinctual awareness, and then there's intellectual awareness. Right? These are three levels of, of, of self-awareness that a human being has. Each of these three levels are corrupted by each of these nations. So level of corruption, number one, is bodily awareness, which means to say we'll call it very, very much a physical entity, um, which, which represents this idea of a lion or an eagle. The lion or the eagle, and whichever totem pole you're looking at is the top of the totem pole of its its class of its of animals. So the lion is the is the king of the beast. You know, you know, whenever you see pictures of lions and you see pictures like ne next to a leopard or, or a cheetah, you think, oh, you know, they're all cats. You need to see them next to each other to understand just how powerful a lion is. A lion can fit a leopard's head in its mouth, and it does. <laughs> a lion is a very, very powerful creature. Okay, so it's the most powerful creature. The, the eagle is one of the most powerful, uh, powerful birds. It, it, it soars above the rest. And, uh, and the, this, the notion is, is this is an, this is an, en, a, a, an entity which is fully 100% Khomri, 
fully 100% body, fully 100% physical, and the way it wins is by having everybody else underneath it. It puts everything into, it stacks everything underneath it, which is why if you, you read the history, Babylon was an incredibly fast rising and an incredibly fast dr precipitously dropping empire. It, it was incredibly cruel. When, when the Babylonians rose, they started rising against as a, as a small rebellion in the north against Assyria, and Assyria was the empire. And within a few very short years, they took over the entire Middle East. And anybody, anybody that played games with them was crushed mercilessly, including Israel, which is why Yermiel says, don't play games with them. You don't have the <coughs> to, to fight them. They, they crushed and destroyed. They murdered. They purged every, everything in their path. Um, and this is, this is the, the dominion of the lion, the dominion of the eagle. This ha the, it, it gains its, its, its sense of self by superiority, by being at the top, by, being, by crushing everything underneath it. That's, the, that, that's level, uh, level number one. Again, there's, there's a little more to say over here, but the, the morale actually does not focus on this as well. It it's essentially sees itself as being at the top of the food chain. As we move later on, we move into the next, the next beast, which is the bear. Now, the bear, of course, relates to the next, the next empire which rises almost organically out of Babylon, which is when media moves away, when media rebels against its own, uh, its own uh, ally, Bavel, and turns to Persia, and the Persian empire expands. Now we're moving into the times of already the end of the Babylonian. Babylonia is only 70 years of exile. It was a very short-lived exile, um, a very short-lived empire, a lived empire compared to the Persians. The annals of history tell us the Persians were, were centuries long as opposed to the Babylonians. And um, the, this is the silver. We're moving downwards in terms of the, the statue. This is the Shafan in the Medrash. Um, and the Maral understands that this is the emotional, so to speak, nafshi aspect of the human being, which is now being marshaled by it. The Gemara actually says that why is it called a bear? Why is the, are the Persians likened to a bear? Very interesting description over here. Take a look at the, let's find this in the sources. It's to be found in uh, source 11. Um, the Gemara Megillah tells us, He would start talking about this from here. It says, Ari Nahoim the, the lion, which roars, refers to Nebuchadnezzar. It's the Babylonians again, the lion. Very loud, very powerful, very destructive. Then Dechsivle, he says, Allah Ariyeh misubchoi, doiv shakeik. What's the, 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 this, this, uh, this uh, um, bear, what is it referring to? Zuach Hashverosh, this refers to um, um, Xerxes, Arthur Xerxes, Hashverosh, who are we going to... We're going to associate him with specifically in the annals of history. He quotes the vision of Daniel that it's like a dove. What does it mean? In the house in the yeshiva of Rabbi Yosef, he would describe these are the Persians. They drink and eat like bears. They are mighty in flesh, and they are very hairy like the Persians. You ever watched the, you know, look at the picture, the, the depictions of the Persian kings, there's lots of, lots of facial hair, right? Um, he says, and they never are restful. They're always, they're always restless, like, like a bear. The way the Maral understands this is, uh, is that this, this entity, the second entity in the world, the second dominion which Hashem gave power to, is, um, it refers to something which is, is, never, is never comfortable <coughs> Is never comfortable. Unlike the Babylonians, who needs to be on the top of the totem pole, the, the Persians need to actually absorb everything else. They need to absorb everything because they've got this unsatiated <coughs> hunger. Which is why, when you when, when you read about Achashverosh, he's got this unending ego. Everything everything needs to be about him. 
And in fact, that's why the Megillah of Megillah's Esther, describing the Persians, ends with the Persians' foreign policy, how they tax all the Iye Hayam, the Isles of the Sea, which means to say that they, they, they can only really, in a certain sense, they've got this unsatiable, unquenchable thirst. They sort of swallow everything whole like bears do. They just pull, pull it all in because they need to absorb everything else. Everything else needs to be part of it um, to, for, uh, for success. It is interesting that um, according in the way the Mara looks at it in, in, this, in, this, in this realm, is that um, as opposed to the Babylonians needing to be on top of everything else, sort of at the, at the, at the head, the way that the, the Dov works, the, the, the second dominion works, is, is that it needs to have everything subsidiary to it, to the, to the point of destruction even. Meaning to say, the, the fact that Ahasuerus was willing to grant genocide to Haman for the entire nation of Israel was an expression of this unsatiated quench of power which, the, which, which um, the, this bear, this, this creature experiences. It's, a, it's, it's, again, it's very hard to understand what these concepts are. I'd like to, to come back to an overall perspe- perspective in just a moment when we get back to the, when we get back to the, the end of it. Um, the, third, the third beast is this leopard, is, this, is referring to Greece, the Malchus Yavon. It is the bronze in, the, in Belshazzar's vision. It's the, 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 mid, the, mid, the mid part of the statue. It's the Arneves, the hair. And it's the connection, but it's essentially the intellectual component of the human being. The reason this is important is because the intellectual component means to say that, the, that we've now moved from the realm of physical entity, two, two different versions of physical, we'll call it grob, you know, very earthly creatures, the lion and the bear. The bear we now moved into a creature which is more about actually in, intellect. The leopard is a very wise creature. It's not as powerful as the lion, but it is a very dangerous creature because all you need to be doing is walking under the wrong tree. And uh, if you notice how, how, how leopards hunt, they do not hunt with sheer power, they hunt with guile as well. In fact, the way it's described in Chazal is, is what is the representation of the namer, of the, of the leopard? What, what attributes do they espouse? Azus, right? Have az kanamer, azus, which means to say brazenness. Why is brazenness related to chachma, to wisdom? As the Mishnah tells us in, in, in Pekah Avos, is that a person who's a very nice kind of person who doesn't really ask too many questions, never really gets to know anything. Because that person never, never picked up their hand in class, never accosted the teacher, never confronted ideas because they were too willing to take it lying down. That's, that's, that's the opposite of Azus. You need to have a degree of Azus to be able to learn. You need to have a degree of brazenness. Torah, I'm going to look after my Torah. I need to find it. This is what, this is what the, the Namer is. The Namer is a notion of guile, of intellect, with a willingness to question, to push the boundaries, to recreate ideas, is the, is the idea of, the, of this Namer. Which is fascinating, which is, which is fascinating on a, on a number of accounts, because in a certain sense, they're the most like Israel, really, up till now. You know, is, you know Jews were never really meant to be part of a football or rugby team. You know, they never, never quite the right physique. You know, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't a Jewish thing. Chess champions, yes, you know what I'm saying? Ping pong, maybe, you know. But the football and, and, uh, and, and rugby just wasn't, wasn't their thing so much. You know, we obviously do have exceptions. But in moving away from Babylon and Persia, which were these divisions of very powerful creatures, we now move into a creature that's not so much about power, but about um, adeptness. It's interesting, actually, there's a, there's a fellow... Um, Akiva Bernard, I don't know if anybody's familiar anyway, so he's, he's actually a, a son of a rabbi in South Africa, Rabbi Bernard, who was actually originally a, a protege of, of Rabbi Soloveitchik, who went to South Africa, became a rabbi, actually married my parents, and, uh, and he then actually became a Chabad Chassid, actually. Very interesting individual. So Akiva Bernard has written a book. He, he has a book 
about, uh, about business models based on leopards. He was a hunter in South Africa in the good days. You know, he used to go out and he studied the leopard. And the leopard, he's got a book called Leopardology and he's spoken around the world about leopardology, about, uh, about training businesses based on understanding the model of leopard's leadership. Fascinating, right? This is, the, this is, this is Greece. This is the notion of, of wisdom. It's much more of a, in, in the domains of the human, it's not the body, it's not the emotional bodily awareness. Now she, it's now the seichel, the way the Maral understands it, which is actually more of a challenge. We have more to, to argue with it, which is why the gzeros of, the gzeros of um, the, the decrees of the Yavonim, of the Greeks, weren't so much about destruction and annihilation, or subjugation, that subjugation was Babylon, and annihilation was, was one version of Persia, but it really was about more in a certain sense, they were all spiritually motivated, they were all intellectually motivated, because this, in, this, this, um, this particular kingdom worked based on, on this. It is interesting that, in fact, because it's so similar to us, because the Avon has so, much, so many similarities, it actually does have a place in Judaism. And that's why, when describing the one brother of the children of Noah, who represents, who's going to be the, the patriarch of Greece, that is Yafte Lokimi Yefes, Yishkon Ba'alei Shem. That they're going to, there's going to be a space for, the, the, for, for Yefes, but it's going to be within the umbrella of the intellectual, the intellectual enterprise of Judaism. Which is something, of course, which is why perhaps they're so upset about that, because they believe that it, it should it, it exist independently. The fourth and last one, then we'll try, try to take a little bit of, more of a perspective, is the last beast. It actually doesn't have its own form. It's a very terrifying beast. It has no form it, itself. The one thing that the Midrash does describe about this is, is that this, the, this creature is, is not just um, lacking form, but it's actually dramatically, it is, uh, it is intrinsically different <coughs> the previous ones. As an example, in uh, Source 15, take a look at the Midrash Rabbo over here. Says, um, it, it says the following, it says, uh, One second, we're going to just skip the second. Oh. Oh, here we go. We'll do the last two lines of this section of the Midrash. It says, by, by Zu Edom, the second last line, Daniel saw, Daniel saw the first three in one vision of the night, and the fourth one he viewed on a separate night altogether. Rabbi says, why? Because in fact, it is weighed like both of them. The Midrash goes on to describe, if you can imagine, clapping, when two hands come together, the, so, to, so to speak, there's three versus one. Meaning to say the one hand is Edom, it subsumes all of the previous three, and the other hand is the three of the three initial Goliaths. Which means that somehow the Edom itself encapsulates and in, uh, it, in a certain sense incorporates all the three domains of Guf, Nefesh, and Seichel all together as, um, as, it's, as its entity. What, what is it described as? What material is it? as opposed to something which has value in terms of looking nice and, and, uh, and being something we would buy um, in terms of gold, silver, or bronze, it now is iron. It is, it is, it's, it's, this, it's this terrifying metal, it's the composite now which, which can now create and destroy and crush. The way the Maral understands this, and this, this is for much, he has, he has much more to say on this, but not, not actually in this specific essay, the Maral describes that this, is, this, this entity over here is, is in a certain sense, the anti, the anti all of the ideas of Israel. Every, every, every element of it, whether it be our physical, spiritual, emotional existence, is all undermined by this. It's actually encapsulated in the word heder, which means lack of expression, lack of nothingness. Tahoim, which was the word used to describe embraceous, it's this depth, this unending depth. It is expressed in 
antimatter, so to speak. It is the antimatter of every element of humanity when it's unleashed upon the world, and that's why it's, it's lasted so long. It's the angel which never comes down that ladder, as it seems. In, it's like Bia Kanesha. Now, in terms, of, in terms of the general overview of the pattern, the, just, if we come back to, to the, the, the Medrash, which describes that there are these four unkosher animals, non-kosher animals, which are described by these kingdoms, it goes, there's the first three and the last one. Of course, there's a division of the three and the one. Why is it divided into three and one? Why is the, the Gamal, Shafon, and Arneves different to the Chazir, which the Torah describes? So it's different Simonim. It's, the, it's that we know that the first three are, are able, on the one hand, they, they are Vemale um, Gera. They chew the cud, which is one of the symbols of being a kosher animal, but they do not have Mafrisalahifrisla, they don't have spatoos. Whereas the Chazir is the opposite way around. It has the split hooves, but it has no Ma'ale Gera. It doesn't chew the cud. So the, the Ma'aral points out that based on this measure, just the ideas are fascinating, is that the idea of Gera, Gera literally means just chewing the cud. Ma'ale Gera brings up the, that which it was chewing. The word Gera also relates to the word Goreres, Gerera, which means to say to pull afterwards, which means that each of the kingdoms pull after it another kingdom. So the first kingdom brings the second kingdom, the second kingdom brings the third kingdom, and the third kingdom brings the fourth kingdom. But the last kingdom's name is Chazir, which comes from the word Chazara, which means to pull back. It's one which will be Chazar Atarali Yashna, which will actually re-enthrone the nation of Israel back on the throne after it's done its cycle, which we're still waiting for right now. Now, just to, 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 to understand that, um, that, dimen that dimension, some of us, I, I don't know, when I was schooled, I had the misconception that, you know, there was the first base of Migdash, and then the Jews, you know, had the second base of Migdash. We, we had control again. It's not really so true. In the sense that once Babylon came along, we really had very little control there afterwards, except for a sh short spurt of the, of the Hashmonaim, which is when we were able to throw off the Greeks for a short moment in time. But essentially, after, after Babylon, it, we, we were living in the, in the realm of empires, not states. You know, so you know, when you dealt with states, you know, when you re read the Nevi'im Rishonim, you deal with Moab and Ammon and the Plishtim, and you deal with states, okay, you can deal with them, they're like, you know, a country. But when you start dealing with empires, now we're not talking about countries, we're talking about, we're talking about powers which take dominion over the whole known world. So the first one was actually Assyria, which Israel dealt with, and they exiled the top half of Israel, the northern states. But then came, then came the Babylonians who took over the entire, the entire Middle East, all the way from Egypt, all the way to, into, into Asia, very powerful state, taken over by the Persians who went even further, taken over by the Greeks who went even further, and taken over by the Romans who went even further, which means to say we're in the realm of empire, the age of empires, so to speak. And each of these empires takes, takes dominion over the whole known world, and there's very little space between them, which is, means they're Goreres. They're, each one pulls the next one. You read about how Babylon fell to Persia and how fast there was, how Persia fell to Greece. There's a, there's a, there's a flow, and that's what the Medrash seems to be conveying to us in this. It also suggests, and this comes back to the initial, the initial model, and that is that even though there's, there's impurity in each of these nations, even though there's an impurity in each of these powers, each one of them does have a redeeming factor, right? Because they still have one siman, which is still kosher, right? So although when it comes to these, the first three, that siman is hidden, right? So there's something in it which can be, it's redeemable. We can learn something from it. That the Babylonian Talmud was published in Babylon, right? The, the great Chachomim, the great sages were in Babylon, in Persia. Right, so there's, there's, there's what we can gain from each of these dominions, but it's hidden. It, it requires a lot of, a, a, a lot of uh, digestion, redigestion, so to speak, to extract what that nation had to offer us. And finally, the last one is more complex because what, what seems to be its redeeming factor is really only superficial. 
right? It's only on the outside, it's the hooves, which it shows the world, but it's not really internal. There's nothing intrinsic there, which is much harder because it itself represents Heder, non-existence, antimatter, so to speak. So it's very hard to redeem that, uh, that, uh, that specific kach. This is a general overview. Now, if, if you're confused, then this is, this is the, the, that's, that's the good starting point of the conversation. Because, to be, to, be, to be honest, there are 71 pages in this, and although the Maral talks about these things very fast, and I'm summarizing what he said very fast, there are, there are most of the pages in the Hartman edition are footnotes, just to understand each of these concepts alone. So what I'd like to do, is, with, with your permission, just to spend a, a few minutes now just deepening a little bit our perspective of the third one, which is related to Hanukkah, which is why he's actually talking about this in the first place. And with this, maybe we may not have a perspective on all of them and fully understand them, but at least in terms of the general schema. Let's take a look at Greece for a second. So there's two, the, 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 the famous thing that the Medrash quotes, actually quotes it twice in that same paragraph in Vayikarabo, is it quotes the following accusation that the Greeks make uh, to the nation of Israel. Here's how it goes, and this is um, in source... 16. No, uh, yes, 16. Zuyavan, this is the third river emanating from Eden. It's called Chidekel. These are sort of very ethereal Gezeros or decrees on Israel. Write for yourselves on the horn of the ox that you have no chelek, you have no place in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the God of Israel. What does that mean exactly? Like, what, what's it talking about? They, you know, like, just send them, send a telegram, write, write a message of papyrus. What's this business about the ox? Why is, why is it being, uh, uh, being written on the ox? And what's their argument? So Mara points to a fascinating Gomorrah. Again, Mara's built on, on, on basic Gomorrahs that we've seen, but perhaps not, not synthesized necessarily. Here's the way he understands Greece. This is a very fascinating conversation, which occurs on page 9. This is the Gomorrah in Megillah, Daf, um, sorry, Brachos, um, Lama Beis, Lama Beis. The Gomorrah says the following. This is the, the, the Zion says, Zion says to Hashem, Hashem, you've forgotten me. Isn't that the same thing, to be, to be forlorn and to be forgotten? The nation of Israel, the entity of Knesset Israel says to Hashem, Ribbon Shalola, master of the universe, Adam, no say Yishal, Ishtoi Rishana, Zacher, Maaseh Rishana, Ata Azautani, Veshechetani. You remarried. Right? We're, we're out. This, the, 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 the previous spouse is, is long forgotten, is no longer part of the picture. You've forgotten Hashem. What's, what's the metaphor of meaning? Just understand this. Is we've been, this is what we talked a little bit about last week. Is we learned a little bit about, you've kicked us out of the land. You, you, you've married, so to speak, other nations. There's other nations which are powerful, which seem to be doing well. So do you really care about us anymore? Is there, do we have any entity? Do we have any, 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 any reason to exist? So HaKadosh Baruch says, Amalah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, my daughter, by the way, notice that notice the, the, what has Hashem done in the relationship? He's shifted it from being a marriage to a daughter. That's really important because marriages are based on decisions. Children are not based on, you know, you don't not become a parent, right? There's no, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Once you're a parent, you're always a parent. Um, so, so Hashem says, I created 12 constellations, and I had 30 armies, for each of the each of the those um, those those uh, um, astrological signs of Al Kolchayel, Barasi, Shloish, Shloishim, Ligion, and each of them has thirty legions. 
And Val Kolegion, Veligion, Brasi, Lois, Shloshim, Rahatoin, then now each of them has um, 30 liters, Val Koraton, Raton, Brasi, Shloshim, Kroton, and each one of them has, um, has, has 30, he called the, the translation here as military camp leaders, Val Koraton, Kroton, Brasi, Lois, Shloshim, Gastro, and each one of them has. Um, Thirty forts, but I'll call Gastro of Gastro Talisi, Boy Shlosha may also Shishim Chamisha, Alfe Riboy Koychavim. And each one of them has uh, 365,000 stars corresponding to the days of the solar year. Yeah, um, it says, The Kulan, Loi Borossi, Elabish Vilech, Vato Marti, Azavani, Voshechtani. I created all of this for you, meaning to say, I think what we're saying over here, if you want to do crunch the numbers over here, that it, it's a lot, right? So what Hashem says is, This world is a lot. And all of it revolves around you. It's anthropocentric. I'm, uh, it, is, it, is, it is about you, Claire Knesset Israel, and you're telling me I forgot you. So the nation says, so, so we respond in this very strange dialogue. Actually, sorry, I apologize. I'm not going to forget all the sacrifice you made for me in the desert, whether it be physical sacrifice, whether it be emotional sacrifice you made in the desert. It seems to be carbonous, but it's also referring to other aspects. Omer Lefonov. So they said, we responded to Hashem. So now you're telling me there's no forgetfulness. Uh-oh. So So maybe you're not going to forget that we made a golden calf just as you gave us the Torah within 39 and a half days. So I'll forget these. By the way, this is the, what the Gomorrah is doing, is, is passing out the Psukim here. Had, right, each part of the Psukim is uh, the Gomorrah is giving the subtext of the conversation. And finally, But you told me now you forget things. Okay, so So maybe what you do is you'll forget Sinai. If you forget the Egel, then you can forget Sinai as well. I'm not going to forget you. I'm never going to forget you. Okay. Strange conversation. Strange, it's obviously a conversation which is had in diaspora. It's a conversation which is had in, in exile. And Akash Baruch is reassuring that, so to speak, he is selectively remembering. He is remembering the good parts and he's not remembering the bad parts. By the way, just as an aside, in relationships, this is very important. Every relationship has difficult places and every relationship has good places. And the question that we have is, do we frame our interaction with that other person through the negative memories? Is everything we're seeing through that prism of the negative memories or we're seeing it through the prism of those positive memories? There can be a relationship where, you know, let's say in an average relationship, 66% of the time is average. You know, we have the, you know, the top end of the bell curve where it's amazing, the bottom end of the bell curve and it's negative. But if a person shifts their perspective and is viewing everything through the lower end of the bell curve, then everything they see is negative. Either positive, they'll, they'll ignore. And th- this, is, this is how memory works. What is interesting over here, so the morale is, is the following. This is such a true concept psychologically is that you forget things which are ancillary. You don't forget things which are, which, are, which are essential and intrinsic. So, for instance, as an example, your spouse's anniversary. Just, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to ask everybody right now, but that if a person's forgetting it, the reason why it's upsetting is not because the gift wasn't there. Why is it upsetting? Is because what you're, the message you're conveying by walking into the house that morning without saying anything, right, and even knock at lunchtime, not even sending a text, right? Right, so, you know, right, I'm, I'm not going to say anybody's been there, right? But the point is, that what are you saying? You're saying that you are an ancillary part of my existence, spouse. And that's not the way it works. I am the center of your universe. I am the gravitational pull around which you, cir- you, you circle in your elliptical orbit. That's how it works. That's what you're saying when you forget somebody else's, when you forget your spouse's anniversary. You only forget things which are ancillary, right? So it's all right. You can forget the car keys. 
Right, but don't forget the anniversary. Right, so what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says is, 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 is to the Knesset Israel, is what they're asking is, the question that's at stake in this Gemara is, what is primary and what is ancillary? What are we, or is how, what is the level of chosenness that we have in your eyes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Rivon That's what we're asking. So what does Hashem first answer? He says, I remember all the sacrifice. I remember all the actions you showed me. So Knesset Israel says, well, that's dangerous. Because if you're going to be remembering actions, then there's some actions which we're not quite as proud about, you know. <laughs> they weren't the forefront of our resume. We'd like the Egel. So if it's about actions, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then that's reason to show that maybe that's not intrinsic to who we are because we have other things which could counteract those good actions or the negative sacrifices we made against you. As an example, Egel, going back to the, the starting point of the formation of the nation of Israel. So then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, you know what? I, I forgot that. So they said, well, if you forget that, maybe you forgot Sinai. Meaning, what's at the core? Do you remember actually choosing us in the first place? The Knesset Israel asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, yes. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I will only remember Sinai and I won't remember the Egel. I won't remember the Snafu right afterwards. What is Hashem saying? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, is my chosenness of you is intrinsic and your sin is considered ancillary. That's what Hashem is saying to you. I understand that that was a mistake and that's not who you are. I'm choosing to view you through the prism of memory, through chosenness. The Maral takes it one step further. In fact, this is why it is, is that how did Hashem choose us? What was the first time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu interacted with us as a nation, as a national unit? What was the first word He said? Anochi Hashem Elokecha Hashem Atzeisichom Eretz Mitzrayim I am Hashem your God who took you out, who chose you from the nation, or, 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 or extracted you from the nation of Egypt. You think about this for a second, all the Mepharshim struggled. Well, and, and what's the command? Hashem, so what are we going to do about that, right? So we, we, we as human beings like marching orders. So now we'll take out the garbage, right? We'll do whatever you want. We'll wash the dishes. What is that you want from us? What is that you want from us? HaGosh Baruch Hu. So the, the Maharal says, it is specifically non-action oriented. Because an action itself is one step removed from the intrinsic connection. HaGosh Baruch Hu says, let's get the one thing first, and, uh, first uh, straight here. I have chosen you. Well, we'll talk about the details and we'll get to, you know, we'll get to the, the next commandment about actions in a second. I've chosen you because of you, independent of action. That's step number one. Which means to say, how do we accept HaKadosh Baruch Hu's cho- cho- choosing us? What are the words that we used after we heard this whole experience? What do we say? We said, Nasev and Ishma. Now, now, generally speaking, as the Gemara points out, that's a very peculiar kind of way of doing things. You know, I have a job for you. No problem. But you haven't seen the fine print yet. The answer is, no, no, I don't need the fine print. I trust you. What were they doing when they said Nasa and Ishma? They were essentially, essentially suspending logic. They were suspending the thought process. You know what? Thank you, Akash Baruch Hu, for the offer. We'll get back to you. Right? We'll call you. No, no, no. That's not how it works. We are going to now suspend our logic because if the decision of chosenness was dependent on our logic, our logic is, in, is still ancillary to the fact that Hashem chose us. The greatest way that the connection could be unbreakable is if the reason for the connection is He's choosing us, not our logic. Not a mitzvah, not a particular action, and not our thinking about it. It's simply our saying, we accept what you said. That makes that bond unbreakable, which is what this Gemara is ultimately saying. What does, the, what does it say when the Greeks turn to na- the nation of Israel and says, Kisul HaChem Al-Keren Ashar, says the Maharal. Very simple. Kisul HaChem Al-Keren Ashar is they are focusing on what aspect of memory? They are fo- focusing on the first thing we did after Matan Torah, which was the Egel. They're saying, look at this Egel, look at this cow. We're going to say that, you know what? Meaning, what really symbolizes who you really are? 
You know, you could put on that projected image that night and you were so nice. The morning after, who are you? What happened then? Right, what are we, we in the real, the real Israel came out. The Am Kishay Oref, as Moshe Rabbeinu says in Parashat Kisisa. That's who you really are. If you really are, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Shechei Chas Shalom, says, says the Greeks. Why? Because what is at stake over here, when understanding this is so interesting. Sometimes when you see an intellectual debate, you say it's about the, it's about the issues, it's about the concepts. And what the Maral says, no. The issue of Greek knowledge versus Judaic knowledge was not an issue about two competing systems of logic. It was essentially a competing systems of chosenness, which is why when you look at the Greeks, it wasn't enough. It, when you look at the way the, way the Greeks attacked us, there's a portsu chomos migdolai, as we're about to say tonight. They broke through the, 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 the chomos. What does it mean that? The, uh, the Chazals say that, that there was, the, the, are non-Jews allowed in the base of Migdash? Sure they are. But there's a certain thing called the Soireg, there's a certain wall beyond which they're not. There's different divisions. Israel can't go so far, Levium can't go so far, Kohanim, there's, there's domains. They didn't like the, the idea of domains. Why are you so special? You so special? What, what made you so special after all? We can also think. We also have ideas. And so therefore their accusation was at the very core of our existence. You aren't so special after all. Did Hashem really choose you? Well, if Hashem chose you, maybe it was based on action. If it was based on action, well, look what you hashed up the next day. And therefore, you lost your chosenness. The argument of, of, of Greece versus Israel is actually at the very core about chosenness. One last interesting point is that, remember, how many, how many wings did that, 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 that leopard have? It had four wings and it grew four heads. At the beginning, it only had one head. At the end, it grew four heads. Why is that a parallel to Greece? Because... Although Greece existed for many years beforehand, and they were, they were proliferating philosophy for a long time beforehand, when Alexander the Macedonian spread out his kingdom in a, in a massive, massive territory in a very short amount of time, as all good, uh, good military leaders uh, you know, um, of the day did not, end in a, did, not, did not die in an assisted living, um, and so he was killed and um, he died, uh, died an unfortunately early death, but his kingdom immediately split up into four sections. The Greeks that we were dealing with were not the Macedonians. We were dealing with the Seleucid Greeks. That was the northern Syria area as opposed to the Ptolemyan Greeks, which is in the Egypt area. Okay, so the kingdom itself split up, which was the four heads of that kingdom, which is being described by this nightmare. So what have we gained? I would say that we are certainly a lot more confused by the end of, the, of learning this than we are at the beginning of learning this. But you see, the, it, it's, it's the same way as it works, is that, you know, the, you know, the kid who comes back for a high school kid test and he says, I don't want to start learning, I start revising for the test, because once I start learning, I'll realize how much I don't know. So it's important to start revising so that we know how much we don't know, but also to, to, to appreciate the magnitude of this perspective. And what we gained is the, the perspective of the notion of why expansion, these four different points, is necessary to be held together by Israel. And look at quickly why those four creatures and how they relate to d the dominions that are, they are described, how the fourth one is incorporating all of them. And finally, the notion of Greece not being an ideological struggle about intellect perspective, but where that intellect belongs. Do I belong in your tent because you're connected to Hashem, or do I belong independently? Can I have a bubble of intellect which inter uh, uh, exists independently? Food for thought, food for more further conversation. I look forward to doing that, Mr. Shem, together.